0: Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. Uniting coaches at every level of the game, around the love of the game. We are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linke.
1: I am Dean Linke. We have another great show for you today with five outstanding guests. Up first, Shellis Heineman, a legend with United Soccer coaches, longtime member, longtime staff member. Well, he just got his 500th win at the D1 level with Grand Canyon. Of course, a lot of those wins came with SMU, and he got 500 despite spending several years with Dallas in Major League Soccer. Now, he also started at the D2 level, coaching at his his alma mater, Eastern Illinois, propping them up to the D1 level where he had great success with them as well before going to SMU. His story is first. Sticking with D2, Steve McCrath, also an active member with United Soccer Coaches, he gave the Barry men's soccer team their first ever D2 men's title. That goes with the five that his father, another legend with United Soccer Coaches, Cliff McCrath, won at Seattle Pacific. Thank you following him. How about Dave Diani, Grand Valley State? He won three national championships for D2 women in 11 years. He's now in his sixth season as the head coach for the Iowa women's soccer team. They'll take on NC State tonight on ACC Network Extra. Weather permitting, I'll have that call. You'll like Dave's story. Then, we're so pleased to be joined by Marguerite Farrell. She is now the Advocacy chair for youth coaches with united soccer coaches of course she's also a fairly dickinson hall of famer and she is the u.s soccer club development manager for the northeast she's a great guest and then you'll also like meeting one more member of our 30 under 30 class he is sam Pollock. up first shellis hindman after this message from our presenting sponsor team snap
0: Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com now once again here's our host dean
2: Linky. welcome back i am dean linke and as i promised off the top we are joined by a living legend as we watch right now winner of 500 collegiate games as they knocked off northern kentucky three to nothing i'm talking about grand canyon university the antelope's top man shellis heineman who has been a friend to then named nstaa and united soccer Coaches for all of those 500 wins and then some and he joins me off the top. Shellas, thanks for being with me.
3: It's yes, my, absolutely my pleasure.
2: 500 wins, Coach, hard to put that in perspective but I'm going to ask you to at least try to put it into words. What does it mean?
3: You know, it's uh, obviously it's a milestone. It's something historical. I didn't really even realize it till it was brought to my attention and I didn't think much about it at the time because it's just, just a number but Seeing how it has affected so many people, friends, colleagues, family, everybody's celebrating. I guess they, they see it as a, something bigger than I did. Uh, but, uh, enjoying all that recognition and enjoying the friendships, it, what it means is coaching a lot of games. Okay, that's, you've been, been in the business a long, many years. Uh, and then the other thing is coaching some fantastic players. Who obviously gave me the wins. And I think back to this past weekend of how many really neat guys and good friends that are contacting me since uh, 1976 when I started, all the way through to today when people are contacting me that are playing for me. So it's been a real nice, memorable uh, lane, realizing what had been accomplished at different universities and how every one of those wins were, were really fantastic.
2: Now, I just want to remind everybody that obviously Shellis Hyman is one of the most notable head coaches in NCAA men's soccer history. He's now in his fifth season at Grand Canyon, actually taking his team last year to the NCAA tournament at the Division I level. In 35 years of coaching, Shellis has now compiled a record of 500, 158, and 56. Just amazing, amazing. And he's qualified his teams for the NCAA tournament in 31 of 33 eligible seasons. Now, another reason, in addition to celebrating his 500 wins, we wanted to have him on this show. As you know, we're talking to the reigning D2 men's champions as D2 soccer gets started this weekend. And Shellis actually started at Eastern Illinois. First four years were D2, before they went D1. Seven seasons there, 98 wins. Then such great success at SMU, 368 wins. And now 34 wins and getting back to the tournament last year. So let's start with the notion of, you know, this week we're focusing on D2, but wanted to start with you for two reasons. Like I said, the 500 and the fact that you started at D2. And it's a great place, right, for coaches to to get a a great start and and maybe move up later on or enjoy their life at the D2 level. Right, Coach?
3: You know, a lot of people don't don't realize that D2 is is a great level to be coaching at. Even even today, but I can tell you back in the days that I was coaching at Eastern Illinois, we went to the Final Four twice, to the likes of uh, um, uh, Alabama A and M, Seattle Pacific, and it was just fantastic. And in fact, the first year we were going Division One was I think it was 1981. The first year we were going Division One, and you know what? We qualified for the Final Four in Division One. The first year out of Division Two. And went into Division One. We qualified for the Final Four, and we lost to UConn in the semifinals, and uh, and then we beat um, Philadelphia Textile in the consolation game. Back in the days where you played two games, but you know we you know we came from a very very rich area of Indiana, St. Louis, SIU, you I mean uh, Quincy. I mean you know you talk about some great teams out in the Midwest, and. Um, Back in those days, Division Two, I would say, was you know, just a heartbeat away from a Division One national championship level team. And uh, Division Two today is still very strong. I, I have nothing but admiration for those coaches and and those players.
2: I'm looking at it. That eighty-one team that you're talking about in your first year D-One went nineteen-two and two. So, talking about being ready. For- <laughs>
3: yeah, you would remember that. You know, that was part of my. Five hundred, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. Nineteen is a good, a good chunk of that. So you're rolling along. What do you remember? And I know that, um, that if you're like me, you, you know, I have trouble remembering what I had for lunch, but. You know, SMU, such a great school. What do you remember about them coming after you and t- you taking that job in 84, which, by the way, you also had a great year that year, 10 wins, and then the next year, 17, then 15, and pretty much every year you were winning 15-plus games. But take us back to those days when you're rolling along at Eastern Illinois. What do you remember about SMU saying, hey, if we want you?
3: You know, it goes back a little bit deeper than that. I played at, at um, EIU, Eastern Illinois, And from there, I got a master's degree at Murray State, played for the Cincinnati Comets in ASL, and did two years in Brazil doing a coaching course. And I was with Sao Paulo Football Club out of the city of Sao Paulo. And when I came back, I came back on vacation, and uh, my coach said to me, tell why don't you stay here, get a master's degree, and uh, be my assistant, and I'm going to retire the next year. Well, I already had a master's degree, so I said, so my wife and I decided we were going to do that. And uh, Portuguese was my first language, so it was easier for me than, than her. So I did that getting a master's degree really in guidance and counseling because I thought one day I'm going to need some coaching. So I got a degree in guidance and counseling and really enjoyed it. at Eastern Coast. There, seven years. It was really my home, away from home. And when it came time to leave, I will tell you the two things I did. The one thing, I, I didn't sleep at all making that decision. It was one of the hardest decisions in my life. The second thing, I walked out to the field when I was leaving, and I actually cried on the field. I, I, I didn't know if I was making the right decision, but I knew how much I loved Eastern and I hated to leave. But I thought my future was better someplace else. And getting down to SMU was, uh, was really a, a magnificent move for me because they, they uh, were really getting serious about soccer, in fact, that year we were ranked number one in the country, losing to SMU. It was one of the only teams we're going to lose that we lost to. And, um, and we got into the NCAA tournament my first year there. So it was, uh, it was really a good good move. Met a wonderful group of people, and I guess I coached there 24 years, maybe got into playoffs 23 or 24 years, into mm-hmm. the Final Four in Division One twice. So leaving Easton was one of the hardest things for me to ever do. I loved it. It was my home away from a home. Both my parents passed, and that was really my home. And um, it was just hard, and it's still hard. In fact, this year is the 50th year reunion for that 1969 team, which I was a part of in 1969, and we won the NAIA national championship. I thought it was so easy to win a national championship. My freshman year in college, I haven't done it since, so it was a magnificent year. (laughs)
2: Well, as you said, you've come close. So knowing yeah. that um, you wear it on your sleeve like that, I appreciate you saying uh, how difficult it was to even sleep uh, as you made that decision. Twenty-four seasons. Then after you made that decision, three, sixty-eight, ninety-six, and forty, and then another big decision that I got to believe also was one that pulled at your heartstrings, and that was to go to Major League Soccer and join Dallas. Talk about uh, that experience and. Perhaps a, maybe a sleepless night is you made that decision, too, Charles? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, that was a tough one, too. Uh, because, uh, as you can imagine, SMU now has become my home. You know, my uh, 24 years someplace. place. I mean, I was walking across campus knowing every building, knowing every instructor. I mean, it was, it was magnificent. Lived, lived uh, two blocks away from campus to ride my bike or walk. I had my karate, I had two karate studios going on in Dallas. It was a magnificent place, but a friend of mine named Clark Hunt came to me and said, "Hey, I need your help. Uh, we're, we're having a bad run right now, and we, you know, we'd like you to come into the MLS." It wasn't the first time I was asked, and uh, I've always turned the, the opportunity down because I really liked what I was doing. I thought I was good at college soccer, but again, it was a friend. I'll tell you how hard this decision was. I went to the Euros, in not making the decision. And I, and I told the Hunt family, I, I committed to my family, my daughter and my wife, that we would go to the Euros, which was in Switzerland and uh, Austria, and I would tell them while I was over there. And I probably made, uh, emotional, a bad decision, because here I was in a, in, in a, in an environment that was only soccer from morning till midnight, and everybody was playing soccer, every game was on TV, I was going to stadiums, I was in, embracing the soccer, of the world, and I called Clark Hunt and I said, "Clark, I'm coming." And um, it took me probably six weeks to make that decision, and uh, it was it was a hard decision to make. I'm glad I made it. Um, so I was away from college soccer for seven years, and I really uh, enjoyed my experience there. We went to the MLS final, lost in overtime. We had some great runs. Uh, one of, it was the first team in 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 professional soccer to win on on Mexican soil against Pumas. So a lot of really fantastic things happened. And uh, won the Western Conference Championship and was named Coach of the Year. You know, that was an unbelievable moment of pride, not only for me, but for the club and and for Dallas. And after that year, I, I told my wife I needed to have one complete year off. I needed a year to recover because I'll tell you, anybody that's coaching that league, uh, will tell you it is a demanding job, and um, I remember my, when my daughter came to me her senior year of high school and said to me, "Dad, will you promise me that you'll come to my high school graduation?" Now think about that question. Any father would say, "Of course I'll be at your high school graduation, honey. I love you," and that's what I told her. But we have to wait till the schedule comes out because um, I may be in L.A. or New York playing a game, and I end up might end up missing it. Not that I want to, I love you. And as she walked away, she said, Dad, just so you know, you haven't been to one high school event yet, and here she was as a senior. And that absolutely was a corkscrew in my heart that uh, is, was still there because I've missed some fantastic times with my family that I can't make up. Uh, but that was then, and this is now. And um, at that time, that year off, my wife said, yes, take that year off, almost to the exact date. A friend of mine, Mike Vaughn, who was my assistant AD at Grand Canyon, I'm oh, no, sorry, at uh, SMU, called me and said, hey, I'm the AD here at Grand Canyon. Come down and look at this. When I came down, I made a commitment that I would get back in the college game, and here I am today.
2: How much fun are you having, coach? Uh, you know, it's funny, we had Anson Dorrance on a couple of weeks ago. He just signed a five-year extension as people were wondering <laughs> how long he can go. Of course, he's had great success like you and he's like i'm loving it i'm loving it more today than i did 40 years ago coach do you feel the same way
3: you know what i had a fantastic time in pre-season i thought i was almost reborn uh it was exciting it was new players it was all the great things that i remember when i was a young younger coach and sometimes we forget the the relationships with players you know we focus on the winning and the, the scheduling and the recruiting and uh I'm, I'm now doing it on a different level where my relationships with my players now are, are a priority. Some of the, the neatest texts that I received this past weekend were from guys playing for me back in the 80s, the late 70s and, you know, in the 90s. Guys that just say, we knew you could do it, Coach, or fantastic. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. And that makes me feel more, more valuable today in life than, than I did before.
2: Well, wow, I love that, and of course, uh, you mentioned family, and uh, those of us uh, that uh, follow us closely, we recognize your last name um, as well, as um, that name is uh, doing pretty well in professional soccer. Get us up to date uh, on Mr. Hyndman, who's uh, playing professional soccer right now.
3: Yeah, Emerson, of course, my part and joy, you know, I love all my children, and Emerson, is, is anybody who's a grandfather realizes that uh, it's a different relationship. Um you know, you can love them to death, and when they do bad things, you send them home to their parents. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a nice life. You're never the bad guy. Anyway, Emerson went to Fulham at age 15. Uh, really, really a, a, a difficult, dangerous situation. Not, not dangerous in life and death, but giving up your, your day-to-day relationship with your parents, living on your own at that age. And then chasing your dream and being a professional. I mean, Christian Pulisic did it. Other people are doing it, but I'm talking about my grandson. And uh, Emerson, I had a difficult time, you know, away from home. Uh, even though it was England and it's English language, you're still, you know, you're still looking at it as a foreigner. But Fulham really took care of him. Took care of him well. He went to Birmingham from there. Things didn't didn't go as well as we had hoped it would go. Didn't develop as well as we hoped it would have. Had a, a great uh, loan to. um uh Rangers in Scotland did well. Had another loan to the Hibs in uh, Edinburgh. But uh, decided maybe it's time to come home to MLS and get more playing time. And there were a few teams very interested in him, and things just worked out with Atlanta. I'm seeing more of Emerson's game today than I probably did, you know, the four years he's been a professional in England. And uh, we're real proud of him. Uh, he's starting to get his game back. Uh, it's hard to go as a number 10 and be trained as a number six for three years. And now he's getting back into the uh, mentality of of what a a number 10 role is. And I'm seeing each game where he's playing better and better. I predict nothing but good things uh, for the rest of this year and and next year as well.
2: Well, we'll keep an eye on Emerson, but we'll also keep an eye on you. Your schedule's not easy. I'm looking at it now as you're getting ready to (laughs) go. To California this will air on Thursday tomorrow you got St. Mary's you got Santa Clara Oregon State Virginia Tech they're always in the NCAA tournament you'll head to Virginia they're always very good you know CSU Bakersfield they got a great coach there as well and then I see mm. you also later on in the season you got Air Force they made the NCAA tournament last year not an easy schedule coach
3: no it's not but I think anybody know that wants to come to and train your team to be a good team Gotta got to know what it's like to play against good teams. I mean, St. Mary's has not lost a game at home for the last 26 games. What an opportunity it is for us to maybe be that team that puts a bump in the road. But saying that, I know we're going to be tested. And you know what the best teacher uh, of soccer is? is the game. And our players will learn what it takes to compete at that level day in, day out, and to have that kind of pressure. So my role right now is to develop a culture here of winning, and to do that, we got to play against good teams and we got to compete.
2: Finally, Coach, you're on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, and you mentioned all the texts that you're getting. Uh, I got an email right away from Steve Veal, who I consider one of the all-time gentlemen mm. with United Soccer Coaches, and and uh, just expressing his total, you know, support of your 500 wins and what you've done, and you know, along the way even as you're getting those 500 wins, you've always made time for United Soccer Coaches. They've been an important part of uh, you growing as a coach, right, and you helping other coaches grow.
3: Yeah, absolutely. United Soccer Coaches were my family. They were my friends, Anson, dorns, and I roomed together. Mike Berticelli brought me on board. I've made so many lifetime colleagues, friendships, Barry Gorman, Jeff Tiffings, the list goes on and on and on. And I've uh, mentored some of those coaches today, like Mike Noonan and so many others, and and Ian Barker, who was in my in my coaching course. I think back to it; it was probably close to 30 years the on that staff, and the number of people that I have touched in coaching education that were in my course. Now, when I see them, I remember their faces. I don't remember the names, but I ask them which course was it, and they tell me. And I can, I can name all people in that course. Yes, uh, it gave me my foundation of coaching. It gave me my belief in what I do is right. And, and it made me a better coach. And I am just so happy and so pleased to be able to share that information with the, with the young coaches of today. And I love it when they say, yeah, I had you for a course because I know if they had me for a course, I put my heart and soul into that course.
2: Well, that's awesome, and you mentioned some great names there. I guess uh, I am going to ask you one more, because coming up uh, after this break, we we'll have Steve McGrath, as we mentioned, we're dedicating part of this show to the D2 coaches and the reigning D2, yeah. D2 champions. And, of course, Steve, the son of Cliff, who I you know I don't know if there's a funnier guy in soccer right? than, than Cliff. Uh, it, I think it's always good when you've got a McGrath on the program following a shell of time, and that's not a bad one, too, right there, Coach.
3: No, it's not. And I had uh, Steve in a uh, coaching course down in Florida. And uh, and before the course started, he just he told me, you know who my dad is, don't you? And I go, is it is it uh, Cliff? And he goes, yes. And I said, does that mean I got to pass you? He says, yes. <laughs> and so there we go. But <laughs> hey, Cliff has done a fantastic job, and you know, uh, it's not easy following a legend. And his dad is a legend in, in himself, not only winning national championships for Seattle Pacific, but uh, the man that he is in Seattle. You can't find a greater man in the city for soccer, and you can't find a better friend for our United Soccer Culture Association than Cliff McGrath.
2: 500 victories and counting. Here's the deal, Shellis. Uh, We'll have you on at 600, 700, 800, (laughs) 900, and 1,000, okay? Just count on it. I am mean, counting
3: right. on it. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right,
2: congratulations, Dallas. We bow down to you and uh, uh, wish you all the best this season.
3: I've had an unbelievable life, and I'm, I hope we keep going. All Thank right. you. Dallas Hyman coming
1: up,
2: Steve McGrath, United Soccer Coaches.
1: Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. It's not easy to be all of those things. You need help. And who better to help than an association of fellow coaches? Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. Or you can use promo code PODCAST, all caps, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, before the end of August and save over $25 off your yearly membership fee and enjoy all the benefits of a full member. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things Coaching. Welcome back to our United Soccer
2: Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap, where we put a heavy focus on D two, and that means we talk to the reigning D two champions. And we start off though with Shellis Heineman, right? He just got win number five hundred. And remember he started at D two, got his team to D one. That very first year took his team to the College Cup at D1, and he talked about the fact that there's a ton of D2 teams out there that could beat a ton of D1 teams. So what a great segue. Of course, he also talked about the great Cliff McCrath, and now we're joined by his son, also a legend as well, at least building one, Steve McCrath, who led Barry to a 2-1 national championship for the D2 men last year, knocking off Westchester, which tied it all together. Remember last week we had the Godfather on, Godfather won a national championship at Westchester. So I'll tell you what, we can't get away from each other, right,
4: Coach? We're all connected in some way. Yep. Soccer is a uh, intertwined uh, kaleidoscope of colors and mixes of people. But it is really as I say, a very small community and a big world game. Now, when you hear that Shellis Hindman said great
2: things about you and your dad, and he also mentioned that he's pretty sure that he had you in one of his United Soccer coaches uh, courses, and you just got win number 500. You know what your dad did at Seattle Pacific. He Shellis even talked about it. That's pretty good company when you got people like that
4: saying good things about you, Steve. I appreciate that. I mean, it's nice to, to hear that from you. Uh, Shellis has been fantastic. Congratulations to Shellis if you're listening to this because uh, you're obviously uh, someone to look up to for sure. And uh, yeah, the days of, uh, I think it was a U.S. Soccer, I think it was a U.S. Soccer Federation course where we had had um, – he was actually in a different – he was coaching, uh, I think, the Cs or the Bs, I think, when I was working with the A's. I was in my A license, and um, it was great to just have a conversation with him and hear his heart when he was in deliberation, did he leave FMU to go to the pros? And then you think back, and as you've announced, that, yeah, he started a Division Two, and I think some of the great models to hear that people that have gone through the wars to figure out who they need to become. Uh, to your compliments from them and, and to not be forgotten that, you know, Division 2 actually has a great, a great many coaches that can be successful at any level because of all the work that we have to do. So that's a huge Well,
2: here we go as you look to, uh, try to repeat, which is, um, never easy. And maybe it's a word you're not even using as you get ready. I know you're also dealing with bigger issues like a hurricane. So please make sure. Safety first, Steve, as we're thinking about you and everybody along the path of the incoming hurricane as well. That's number one. But with that, and as you sort out things around the hurricane, what has been the message? Do you even talk about repeat? Do you even talk about last year as you get ready to start your D2 season?
4: Yeah, we, we have. We, we talked about it. We, one of the things I learned, you know, having done this as a, as a, as a player and as assistant coach, doing it as a head coach, it's a little bit different because you realize you're, you're leading people. So the things you say may actually have a little bit different impact, just like a parent when a parent says something and it just has a different impact than if your brother or sister said it. So I think that what I've learned in my experiences for the next year is you, you have to have a healthy confidence that you can do it again regardless because you have to. I mean, if, if you're going to be at a level like what we're at and the process in which we compete being so high, that if you don't plan to win it, then you're probably not sitting in the right seat getting the job done, um, you know, from a a day-to-day, year-to-year basis. I mean, you just it's really not the place to be for you. But I think that the message I've pretty much been sending and that we've talked about is that repeating is nothing to fear. It's it's actually something really exciting to to look at because um, it's an opportunity for us to do something special and it doesn't happen very often and there are a few schools that have been able to do it so why wouldn't we try to do it again so we look at it from a joyful point of view which is this is an awesome opportunity and uh there's no reason to have anything other than uh an excitement looking forward to it so it's almost like this would be your year to year anyway the nice part is we did it last year and that trophy's in the case now and we're in good shape
2: So tell us uh, what you got coming back, what you brought in as you get ready
4: to do just that repeat as
2: national champ.
4: Well, obviously we're college athletics and uh, not being able to have a full complement of scholarships where you have like an American football program, you do have a little bit more changeover sometimes because of the way people graduate in and out. And so we've replaced talent for talent. You don't know – if you can replace personality for personality, with regards to making that talent then be what it was that was operating the year, the season before. So I think that we're pretty confident about the the people that we have in the proper seats. But if you're looking at them, you know, looking in the mirror, trying to also measure yourself against who did what last year, that could be a little bit daunting, a little bit frustrating, uh, or even a little bit, um, you know, uh, difficult. And so one of the things we've tried to do is manage expectations. But in terms of the players themselves, I think that we've actually done a really nice job. It's just a matter of them being able to settle in and feel that they can be the people that they should be and not the people that we want them to be who was last year, That you know, trying to stay away from that mix. Coach,
2: you're a young guy, but you've been there a long time. I think you've uh, just completed 21, right? Is this your 22nd season or 23rd, right around in there?
4: Yeah, I mean, you're 22 as a head
2: coach, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you love what you're doing for the Buccaneers, though. What makes this
4: such a great place to coach? I-, I learned a lot from Ken Mola, who had stepped down at Louisville last year, and it was a really interesting thing, to. and I got some feedback from him. I was like, you know, why would you make that decision? I'm sure a lot of people are like, well, why would you leave Louisville on a great, a great uh, salary and a great program and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, your heart at some point, it's like you get guided that it, this might be something I need to do. And at this present time, I'm in a healthy place, and it's not without its blemishes, just like any family. It's um, But the the opportunities that have been presented, when they've been presented, haven't been something where my heart has necessarily said, it's time to go. If, if that time comes, then that time comes. But being here this long, you know, you, I've got really good people that I work with. Uh, I've had great people come through. I mean, I've got assistant coaches that have worked for me and have made their own, their own ways, uh, done phenomenal jobs. So I think it's a great place to be, which allows me to hire really good people. And, uh, that makes for a really good, uh, mix. And then just the people that are not in the Barry community that are in our community that we've made community with has also made it probably one of those things that on that third part of your life's decisions uh, we've just chosen that it's just not, that's just not a time to, to roll. So I think all those things combined, and it doesn't stink that, you know, I wake up every day other than when hurricane come through, I've got sunshine and warmth and I can coach in shorts and a t-shirt every day and life's good. So, I mean, that's a pretty good draw as
2: well. Well, and then tying it all back as uh, we wrap up our time here with Steve McCrath your reigning a D2 champion for men's soccer. We heard Shellis talk a little bit about it, but you go ahead and say it as well. What uh, what makes D2 soccer at the men's level
4: so fantastic, Coach? I believe it's uh, probably a few combinations, but I think one of the things is you get because it's D2, you have uh, an opportunity to go for the competitive juice that drives everybody, but at the same time. And it's it's just the way it is It's the division's rules. But you get more mature players sometimes. You get older players that can come. And so you realize that you get probably a lot more international players than you would. And it really creates a cool model for opening your eyes. Even as a coach, it opens your eyes to the, the world because you see so many different things, so many different attitudes and different styles. But it makes for a really great combination, especially if you have a healthy a healthy uh, format in terms of how you function, which I believe we do. And I think the last bit is that probably like a lot of good business people, you know, they quote unquote start in the mail room and they learn everything about the business as they work themselves up so that when they become CEO, they know everything. And I think the division two really forces you to do everything. You have to do the budgeting. You have to do your own emails. You have to do so many little pieces of the puzzle where you don't have people working for you. That you really have to learn to be a good manager as well, because you can find yourself doing a heck of a lot, and you you can kill yourself off. So I think you really do actually develop a great management hat while you still work the mailroom mindset as you take take each step up the ladder, and that's been huge. So I think that it makes for a great great training for you know even moving straight from Division Two into the pros, um, which we've had some of our, our our assistants have done. I've got one that's uh, coaching with Atlanta too. And, uh, he's a great, he's a great assistant coach and he knows his football. And so it's great. It's a great, great ground for training. Well, uh, what a great answer is, uh, Steve McCraft giving
2: Barry their first national championship, reminding you that, uh, his father, Cliff, who is a legend in United Soccer Coaches, formerly NSCAA, he's the winningest coach in Division Two men's soccer history for what he did at Seattle Pacific, leading the Falcons to five NCAA Division II titles. So now the family has six and counting. Steve, good luck. Get through that hurricane and then make it a hurricane of a
1: season with a whole lot of wins. Okay, Coach? Appreciate it. Thank you. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very
5: easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use everyone you know everything's right there messages availability boom 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 I've looked at other at other
1: things and I think TeamSnap sets the bar for this type of team management software it's the best that I found
2: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Delighted to have this week's show where we put a heavy focus on D2, and that means even people that have worked their way up through D2 to make it happen, right? We already talked to Shelly Heinman, who now has 500 victories at the D1 level, and he tipped his hat to his start at the D2 level. We talked to Steve McCrath, who had great success at the D2 level. He's the reigning champ for Barry University. His dad, Cliff McGrath, won five D2 titles on the men's side. And now we're joined by Dave Diani, an old friend of mine. Delighted to be back with him as he's familiar with this podcast because you win a national championship at any level, you get on this podcast. And Dave's been on because he won at Grand Valley State, and then he moved on to Iowa now in his sixth season at Iowa with the Hawkeyes coaching their women's program Iowa weather permitting will face NC State on Thursday and again weather permitting uh, hopefully I'll be lucky enough to call that game great to be back with you Dave can't wait to spend some time with you thanks
6: very much for having me on Dean it's uh, it's been a pleasure and and uh, great reconnecting after a couple of years
2: yeah indeed and you know as you heard me just talk about the focus on d2 those are some pretty good names especially Shella's Hindman right 500 wins at the D one level on the men's side, and that's despite taking off several years coaching Dallas and MLS. And I'll tell you, he spoke very fondly of his time at D two. Of course, you're a national champion three times over at Grand Valley State. Talk about what that program meant to you.
6: Well, I mean that was uh, some of the fondest memories I've had as a as a coach. Um, they got me they, Grand, the, the wonderful people at Grand Valley State allowed me uh, a, a great opportunity to. Not only build a program, but, you know, have the opportunity to sustain it, um, both, both at the regional level and then as, as I moved on to my career, the national level and, uh, fighting for national championships every, every year. And that was 11 years of, uh, of, uh, of a great time for not only for me, but my firm, for my family. And, you know, it's a really special opportunity at Division Two. I think, uh, you know, the, the top 10, top 15 programs offer, a great deal of talent and uh, can compete at a a really high level um, because they're very, very well coached and they all offer something a bit unique. And so it was a a wonderful experience for me and and um, something that was very difficult to walk away from um, if
2: uh University of Iowa and the Big Ten didn't come calling. Yeah, what was it about uh, the draw to Iowa and Big Ten women's soccer that brought you into Hawkeye land?
6: Well, really, a lot of it was jumping into the conference that I had kind of revered for quite some time. Now, being at Grand Valley, which is in Michigan, you know, we're surrounded by Michigan State and University of Michigan, Ohio State, Northwestern, and you're really right in the middle of Big Ten land, and, you know, a lot of times in the spring, we would play the Big Ten, those Big Ten institutions, and, you know, I had a lot of respect for not only the coaches in, uh, that were in that league, but the level of play that that was being played in that conference, and... I can, I can honestly say that near the end of my career at Grand Valley, there, you know, I kind of had one eye open a little bit in terms of, you know, challenging myself to a professional level and and seeing if I could, you know, be successful in that conference. And not only, you know, coming here five five years ago, and now I'm starting my sixth year, but the conference is stronger than it's ever been, and, and I'm,
2: I'm glad I was able to make that move. Well, and you've done a nice job, actually, too. I'll tell you, it's impressive. 46, 40, and 5 for a program that was kind of left behind, uh, to be honest, and you know, last year four, five, and two in Big Ten play, where there are no easy marks, every Big Ten team is legit. Every Big Ten team can beat you at any given time. So it looks to me, Dave, like progress is being made. You got to be pretty happy with the steps that you're making.
6: Well, we are, and you know, the progress is never never fast enough for uh, for a coach, is it? We're all we're all. We're all wanting to be uh, a bit better and a bit faster, but it has taken uh, maybe a year longer than I thought. Uh, Last year, we had a great year. Um, You know, we finished 10th in a conference, two points away from 5th, not even a win. Um, So that speaks to the the parity in the Big Ten, and um, unfortunately, we we weren't able to um, get into the NCAA tournament because, you know, we need to be a bit more consistent, but... In in some of our non-conference games, but I'm really happy with the direction we're off to a really good start this year, and um, you know I think the future is very uh, bodes very well for the Iowa Hawkeyes.
2: Before we talk about this year's team, uh, you guys uh, actually went on your first foreign tour as you traveled to Germany, Sweden, and Denmark. Talk about why that was important to do as a team.
6: Well, I think uh, first and foremost is you know we returned 24 players from last year's team, and I wanted to. And, and we had a great spring. We went undefeated in the spring, played some really high-level opponents and I, I thought it was going to be very worthwhile to try to challenge ourselves, play some good European teams and spend a bit more time developing the unity and culture of our program together and I always kind of circled this year as a year that we thought, you know, we could really make another run and, and get back uh, back back in the swing of things in the Big 10 and the NCAA tournament and so that was that was you know, the timing was appropriate for us and, and I always think in our sport that it's, it's important to give your student athletes, um, opportunities that, you know, playing pro is, is an option. You know, the NWSL is a fantastic league. It's the best league in the world. Um, but there's not as many opportunities at times. And so, you know, you know, we have players that want to continue to play and, and give them the idea of, uh, that there's an option out there. They can get paid pretty well and, and it's some good soccer, is, uh, you know,
2: to come. Dave, you're right. You are off to a great start, four and zero. If I'm doing the math correctly, you've outscored the opposition fourteen to five. You beat Western Michigan. You smoked Northern Iowa six to one. You got by a good Iowa State team. Illinois State is always competitive on the women's side. Pretty good start, coach. Well, we have a, we uh,
6: we feel really good about you know our start, and you know the difference this year has been um has been we've been able to score goals. Um, you you know I, I, I'm sure you remember in 20, 2014 we had Chloe Chloe the which is arguably one of the top five players in the Big Ten and she you know she was a goal scorer and that's you know she she built this the program and then she graduated and we've yet to really find somebody who could score goals and right now it's not really one player it's four or five and I think our depth is is pretty good in that area um, we know that we're going to get tested um, with better teams and. And no, no disrespect for the you know, the programs that we we beat to, you know to to this day already, but you know we we've, we've lost some games in the past that, uh, against games that, against uh, opponents that we should have won. So we I like our variety um, that we have in the front six players, and uh, right now we, you know we know we're going to get tested with NC State and Northern Colorado and Notre Dame in the future coming up here, and obviously the Big Ten. So. But we, you know, winning, winning matters and success breeds success. And that's something that we're trying to, we're trying to, uh, embrace at Iowa.
2: Well, weather permitting, we'll get this game in on Thursday night on ACC network extra. It'll be great to see you in person in Raleigh, North Carolina. Again, hoping that, uh, this hurricane doesn't affect uh, anything Mm -hmm. going on in Raleigh and you guys get out and everything else. But why is it important to make sure you have some tough road tests before the Big Ten conference starts?
6: Well, I think we, uh, the first thing is, you know, the adversity is going to make us stronger, you know, whether it be, you know, in the middle of a game where we gave up three goals against Illinois State and on four shots, and we have to figure out why, and we're going to grow. This team's this team's uh, in a growth mindset. They want to get better every day, and they're open to learning, and um, when you go on the road, there's going to be an awful lot of adversity. There's a lot of, you know, uncontrollables, you know, whether it be the weather or the, or the home field or the opponent, and and uh, that's what's going to make us better, and that's what's going to help us in the Big Ten, and we feel like we, we've got that coming uh, coming our way in the next uh, four games.
2: Finally, Dave, by way of Canada into Michigan and now in Iowa City for your sixth season. I'm in Iowa City a lot, as you know. I like that place. I think it's underrated and probably doesn't, doesn't get enough credit. How are the De'Ani women liking Iowa City? Have they settled in?
6: Oh, what a fantastic community it is, and yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, I've got two daughters, and my youngest was, you know, very excited right from the beginning, and my wife and my oldest daughter took, you know, took a year to kind of uh, get settled in and acclimate uh, to the school system and the town and community, but they've embraced us. It's a, a fantastic uh, culture and, and community, liberal, liberal community, and uh, very diverse. You know, if you like food, there's an unbelievable amount of restaurants, and highly educated and it reminds me of a lot of the college towns in the Big Ten and and I would agree I think it is incredibly underrated and just like when you know with, with recruiting when people come to our city they, they are very they're very surprised but they, they, they are in love before they leave and and uh, it's very easy to to fall in love with
2: our city. I gotta ask you one more because as I was we're uh, recording this for Thursday's release, I'm watching the USA women and I'm reminded of the fact that uh, you were able to make some runs early when you joined there, and the fact that you you actually had to face Rose Lavelle, right? She was still playing at Wisconsin when you came to Iowa. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, it
6: was. In 2014, we lost to them in double overtime in the Big Ten Big Ten Championship game, and she was a junior on that team. And and if I remember correctly, she set the P, the free, um, the corner in for the winning the winning goal and then we uh, faced her as a as a senior in 2015 and what a special player she was and uh, I think everybody who was around her and and Paula did a great job with Rose and but everybody who was around her who played against her knew that there was something special there and she was incredibly determined and and just unbelievably dynamic with the ball and and uh and creative and when she she very difficult to have to defend and but yeah, we're very proud that she came from the Big Ten.
2: Dave Diani, great success, Division Two, Grand Valley State, getting it done at Iowa, expecting a big year. They're 4-0 already. They'll face NC State on Thursday. Dave, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Dean. I appreciate it. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team SNAP. As you know, United Soccer Coaches is all things to all people around the love and passion of the game. And, of course, it is the place for coaches at any level, especially youth. And that's why we're so pleased to be joined by Marguerite Farrell, the new chair of youth coaches for United Soccer Coaches. And she's got an incredible background as well. As we break it down, most importantly, she's just got inducted into the Hall of Fame for Fairleigh Dickinson, where she was an outstanding player. So I want to start with that, and we'll get to your other roles, including the current one. But you're a Hall of Famer now, inducted last year. What does that mean to you?
7: Oh, it was really an honor. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely humbled to be a part of that wall down the Athletics of the Hall of Fame Definitely feel that there's a lot of people on there that have (laughs) contributed a lot more to their sports, um, but absolutely humbled. I gave my heart to the collegiate program, both in playing myself and then coaching there um, as an assistant for five years, and still heavily involved to being an alum. Um, So just an absolute honor, and then you know it's something to take away of all the hard work I put into to even in this youth advocacy role to continue uh, the pathway and um, just my hard work that I put in and now i um, trying to do good things in other platforms.
2: Well, and some of those good things, let's break it down. She's currently the club development manager for U.S. soccer in the Northeast. We heard uh, her talk about the fact that she also was an assistant coach at her alma mater. She also served time at Seton Hall. And, She's the former senior manager for coach recruitment and education for New York Red Bulls, one of the top clubs at every level. They do such a great job. I get to see their New York Red Bulls 2 team quite often, and they're very good as well. Of course, their main team, fantastic. She's been a longtime member of the United Soccer Coaches Academy staff. So here's the deal, Marguerite. When they call you and say, hey, we need you as our new chair, what was uh, your reaction?
7: Oh, my reaction was that it just fit with what my passion is and what I truly believe, uh, we should all be doing in the youth game and that is making our club environments better, educating our staff and our people and in turn will make our players better which then in turn will make everything in, uh, the game in this country better from the, from top to bottom. Um, and really the core focus and, and a, a lot of soul I have behind. So when I connected with Sue Ryan and Ian Barker and Lee Jarrell, everyone, um, it was just the right fit and kind of the values that I have and the beliefs that I have and what United Soccer coaches are doing to advocate the game. Uh, we, we are just a match made in heaven. <laughs>
2: We understand, Marguerite, that uh, one of your main missions is to establish a network of youth coaches that represents all levels of the youth game, and then their input will help you and United Soccer Coaches to determine how to better serve those coaches. So just talk about that mission and how you go about it.
7: That's right. So uh, I'm working to build a team of strategic leaders who then will Um, We're also building an entire task force under our initiatives of enhancing and recruiting, promoting, developing, recognizing the youth game. And I'm doing that by leaning on my experiences and and the network that has been built through the collegiate game uh, where I coach, through the youth game where I coached. Through uh, the vast network, as you said, New York Red Bulls was a, a really large management component, and then even now uh, with U.S. Soccer, in my current role of, I've, I've had the, uh, you know, the the ability to build a network across this country of people in all different facets of the game and all different levels of the game. So I'm leaning on those connections, those networks, and those experiences. To create a very diverse group—a group that coaches at all different levels, or manages, or technical leads at different levels—and um, then also looking for further diversity and males and and females and different cultures, uh, which I think is really important to creating a dynamic uh, so we know what's going on across the country in different landscapes, in different communities, in different levels. Um, so we're not really narrow-minded to just maybe what's occurring in one region, but we're really advocating for the country and the, and the youth gain in this country.
2: Love that answer, and as uh, we start to think about the fact that United Soccer Coaches, this massive coaches organization, and even the United Soccer Coaches podcast, which numbers are blowing up each and every week, it's been an honor to see it grow. What's your message to these young coaches, even some of the 30 under 30 members that we have on every week about maybe finding a nice spot as a youth coach.
7: Yeah, I think it's really important that we should have really quality coaches within the youth game, and it's important for that so uh, these young players can see – the passion that you have as a coach, uh, the good soccer and training environment, which you're providing. So they develop both as people and technically on the field and that they're enjoying the game. And through that, if we have quality coaches in the youth game that can commit their time and maybe move their schedule, whether they're a college coach or they're coaching at a higher level, Um, we're going to, again, strengthen the youth game, which then will strengthen all facets of the game at at top levels. And if you make someone fall in love with this game, they may play professional, but they may just play in college, and then hopefully let's get them working within the game, and that's going to grow the game in this country. Uh, and there's so much opportunity through the game. It is could be the American Dream in any aspect. If you think about the the game today, uh, you could be a statistician, you could be a doctor, you could be anything, uh, and and you can work within the game now because of the pro environment, the collegiate environment, um, and but it starts at the youth game and the foundation. We need good people leading that. Um, So if you get involved, you you can really you can really hook someone to be as passionate as we all are about this sport.
2: Well, people can also be passionate about some of the wrong things sometimes. Right now, there's a big debate about the U.S. Soccer Development Academy, the pros, the cons, everything else. Uh, With the floor yours, what's your take right now on the current situation with the DA for U.S. Soccer?
7: I think there's a platform for everyone and there's a space for everyone. So. We have a lot of leads in this country, and and I would just say my advice, especially in this youth advocacy role, is for a parent or for that child is just find out what the right fit is for your child. Um, And and there is a right fit, so get to know the club and who the people are and the culture and identity of that club. Um, what maybe the long term vision is they have for your child and then and then how does that club help you get your child there whether that's to play collegiate or just to have fun right now or to play professional if they find out if you know what your child wants if the child knows what you want there's a really good club very close to you that can help your child get there and develop and develop your child to their goals
2: Just two more questions for Marguerite Farrell, the new chair for Youth Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches. As we mentioned, amongst all the great things you've done and have been recognized for, including your Hall of Fame induction to your alma mater, Fairleigh Dickinson, you have been a part of United Soccer Coaches as a staff member. So when you hear United Soccer Coaches, what does it mean to you?
7: It really means a network of coaches who are coming together in the best interest of the game. And – I can't say enough about United Soccer Coaches, as it's always been that. It is to better the game at all levels, at all platforms, and to bring people together to do that who are really, truly passionate about the game and work in all areas of the game. Um, you know, some of, the, some of my best friends have come through the relationships of who I've met through United Soccer Coaches um, and who I continue to lean on so I can get better in my roles and my position. And I think it has done the same for many, many people. You know, and now this is just another opportunity to being a United Soccer Coaches Advocacy Chair of maybe doing that for a whole other network of people and then also then influencing the youth game um, in turn.
2: And then as you start to put roots down in this row as the new chair of the youth coaches, advocacy group I know coming soon there'll be ways to reach out to you right Marguerite can you share that?
7: That's right, so um, very soon posted on our the United Soccer Coaches website if you go to the Youth Advocacy Council group You'll see my email there and my cell phone number. Please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I really want to learn about the environments uh, within the clubs out there and maybe items and new initiatives you're taking on that are really enhancing the game for youth players. Uh, additionally, you can track me down at convention. I would love to sit down and see what you're doing in your environment and learn from you. Um, we have the ability and the platform to get your story out. Um, so feel, feel feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to sit down and chat. I think we're all in this together to make the game better.
2: Marguerite, for some reason, this conversation feels like deja vu all over again, but the deja vu was even better the second time, I think. So We we can laugh about that later. It'll be an inside <laughs> joke, but I really appreciate your time. You're so gracious, and I wish you the best of luck in both your roles with U.S. soccer and in this role as the advocacy chair for youth soccer. Thanks so much for being with us. Jean,
7: thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.
0: Still managing your club or league on paper and spreadsheets? Go paperless with Team Snap. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, they have way fewer paper cuts. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to find out more.
2: Welcome back to our United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I want to thank our last guest, Marguerite Farrell. The new chair for youth advocacy for United Soccer Coaches. So great to spend time with her. And she was excited about United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30. I love this part of the program as we get to know some more members of our current 30 Under 30 class. And that's going to include Sam Pollack, who I got to tell you, folks, you'll want to listen in because he is not your traditional just, hey, I got a whistle around my neck all day long and I'm going to coach until – I'm 120. This guy has done some neat things. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. He's a freelance writer and match highlight editor for Major League Soccer, social media and marketing content manager for Blackwatch Premier, whatever that is. He's the Audi Player Index editorial soccer researcher. We'll get more into that. And he's also a technical producer for live classroom support. He has studied abroad. He's done it everywhere all around that same thing that brings us all together, the love and passion for the game of soccer, including, by the way, he does put a whistle around his neck, and he does get out there on the field because at the end of the day, that's part of his love. And with that, Sam Pollack joins me now. I can't wait to hear your story, Sam.
5: Thanks. Nate. I really appreciate that kind introduction. It's really cool to be here, and I'm excited to tell the audience more about how I ended up being a part of this group. Well, I'm excited to hear it. So
2: please don't leave anything out because (laughs) there are a lot of young coaches out there that want to be part of this 30 under 30. You are in it. But explain your whole background and then at the tail end of it, Sam, say with that as my background, this is why I wanted to apply and this is why I love it. But start from the beginning because it's fascinating.
5: I will do my best to avoid being verbose and give you the, the full story somewhat short here. So things really kind of begin when I was actually teaching overseas at the Casablanca American School where I was a math teacher and a hacker coach there in Morocco. And what ended up happening is, loved my experience there, but unfortunately ended up blowing out my knee while I was living in North Africa. and. When I needed to come back and get surgery in the U.S., it turned into a much bigger ordeal than I was initially expecting. And after thinking things through, I was able to sort of see that as an opportunity where I had a lot of time not on my feet and a lot of time being pretty physically uncomfortable. And amidst that, I decided I would leverage all the quite literal downtime where I was sitting down and just start studying soccer much more intensively than I had been. And it turns out when you're studying something that helps take your mind off of pain and when you have quite a lot of time to be sitting down uh, and you find it passionate, or find it, excuse me, fascinating, uh, you do it quite a bit. And so that led me into a lot of these other opportunities that I'll highlight. One of those that you hit on is I do some work with the Audi player index, which is a, a, a way that MLS fans and the general public can look through the game of soccer through a different lens. So it allows individuals who want to see the game through a different avenue, see scores and quantitative uh, assessments of certain players, or actually all the players that are performing in any MLS game. And so my job within that is to help translate between the quantitative and the qualitative. So managing to show how these quantitative dynamics mirror what you're seeing on the field, and vice versa, how what you're seeing on the field with your eyes can be translated into a more analytical subset or analytical base of thinking. And I do some work writing on tactics for MLS and for 442 uh, and for United Soccer Coaches as well. I do some work helping the social media side of a club called Black Ops Premier based out of Albany, but has some satellites in Florida, in Troy, New York, and in Barbados, interestingly enough. I also help uh, train professors when they're learning how to teach online and moving from a brick-and-mortar environment to a virtual environment. So although it doesn't sound explicitly like it's connected to coaching, when all is said and done, it's really fundamentally an educational type of role. So I see when you strip down coaching also as a fundamentally educational type of endeavor. And so there are some some interesting overlaps between those two roles, and then when it comes to wearing a whistle around my neck, I do some assistant coaching with a a high school team up here in Connecticut, and last year I was fortunate enough when I was selected to be a part of the 30 under 30 program, be doing some work as an opposition analyst for the USL side, OKT Energy FC. That all being said, the, the reasons that really drove me to apply and then be fortunate enough to be selected for the 30 under 30 program are, on the one hand, Being connected with people of the same age who are just as passionate and just as driven to growing the game in this country is an incredible opportunity. So you get a chance to run your ideas by other people who are in similar spaces at a similar point in their career and see what they think, see what they agree with, what they disagree with, and it's a a neat way to see how your ideas stack up and whether it's worth validating them or whether it's worth you need to go back to the drawing board on a lot of the ways you're thinking. And on the other side, being a part of the program is really a treat to be able to hopefully inspire other people who want to be a part of this, who don't necessarily have a background in professional soccer or didn't play at the top clubs. So I wasn't a D1 player, I didn't play at the top levels in the country in USL or at the pro level, but I know this is where I want to be. And for other people who may be feeling in the same way, I want them to say, look, there's this guy, Sam, who wasn't a professional player. but She's able to kind of gain traction in this space. Maybe I want to give this a, a, a little college try as well and see if I can do the same sort of thing.
2: Uh, that is fantastic, Sam. I mean, you absolutely nailed it, tying it right back into being part of the 30 under 30. And I also like your last statement saying, and it's true, you don't have to be a high level pro or former superstar to want to coach and, and lead people or be involved in the game at any level. So I, I so appreciate that answer. What is in your own mind the ultimate end game? Mm-hmm. Like, what's your dream scenario in yeah. the game of soccer? What do you even know yet, Sam?
5: Oh, I mean, you know, as somebody that has a diverse background, actually my answer to that is somewhat diverse as well, though a little more focused. I, I would like to see myself going in one of three directions. One would be the, the traditional coaching route, which is either working as an assistant with an MLS team or working within an academy, developing the next generation of players um, continuously. The other two ideas that I think are a little um, le- less on the beaten path, one would be, especially as the MLS grows and there's more opportunities to grow different aspects of teams, I'd love to be able to run a- an analysis department where we're looking at performances from a variety of avenues, which players are performing particularly well, what sorts of position dynamics that we need to be particularly aware of, and how can we also continue to develop uh, with a focus on whichever team it would be. And then the third thing would be actually working more towards the front office side of things, where helping to build a roster and do scouting and work with technical directors to build um, everything that goes into the final product on the field, but isn't necessarily uh, what people are thinking about during the 90 minutes of a match.
2: With this diverse background, what can you say, whether it's, uh, you know, as a player that uh, had to stop playing because you, you blew out your knee, I hope your knee is doing better now, what, what's been your that. best memory around the game, like your top number yep. memory
5: so far, Sam? Yeah, so I I thought about this a lot, and there are a number of things that were phenomenal, phenomenal memories but it's a more general memory, and my time playing high school soccer was without a doubt my favorite part of my soccer experiences, be it professional or be it even recreational. Um, The chance to build memories, and I'm actually coaching high school now, so I'm hoping I'm sort of fostering the same sort of a a fun time that people can reflect back on and say that was great, Um, is definitely the highlight of my playing career, and and it's definitely something I fondly think of. And I was just going to say that this year I was at my friend's wedding, who I played high school soccer with, so I'm still in touch with all the people. And it's really cool to think back at all the fun times I had there and know that other people that I was playing with also share that memory. And so it's something that bonds me and and it's been glued with a lot of people I'm still in touch with, which is a really neat uh, way that I appreciate the chance to be part of the game.
2: If someone is out there knowing your math background as well and knowing the sort of trend in sports, all sports, including soccer, but not just soccer, football, baseball, footballers hiring baseball analytic type guys, and
5: and they say, yeah. oh
2: yeah, Sam, he's an analytic guy. What's your answer to that?
5: Um, first, thank you, and second, my. <laughs> Not to get like overly nerdy it is, uh, or not to dig too deeply into things. So when you talk about analytics within the soccer world, it is very much its own beast because of the nature of the game. When you look at baseball or you look at basketball, the thing you're trying to accomplish, putting the ball in the hoop or throw a pitch to a baseball, uh, a batter, those things happen so often and you're all, it's easier for lack of a better term, obviously, it's not easy, but to start building a mathematics around um, things that are happening so often with clear-cut repercussions. When it comes to soccer, obviously because there's only you know, two or three goals scored in a match, it's harder to track backwards into what's creating so few chances. With that being said, there's a lot of cool stuff going on within the soccer space. Obviously, the, the first one that comes to mind is expected goals, which people will start to see more and more of. Um, But when it comes to my involvement with that, I think it's very important that people understand that the game game is played by people and the game is played on a field. So if you don't understand how all those things to be integrated, it's not helpful. So you need somebody who can move freely between those worlds, the data side, the number side, the dots moving on a screen and the percentages into, how does that manifest itself when you're trying to manage people and there's a, a mass unfolding with dynamics you may not have been able to plan best. So, you want to be able to move between those worlds and translate for both people on each side of the equation in when it comes to managing analytics and a very human game. And so, I would like to say, yes, it sign me in for however I can help, but be aware that it's not a be all end all, of course. It's just a part of how you want to gain an edge on an opponent
2: a couple more questions for sam pollock i told you guys he was going to be so interesting and he's even more interesting than i even anticipated and with with your background at such a young age particularly spending time overseas and then your background over here working with mls i love that you worked with the energy of usl a big usl fan kind of give us your grade on where soccer is in our country right now knowing that you've also kept an eye on soccer across the pond.
5: Sure, sure. Yeah, Um, and again, I just want to say I really appreciate the compliments, and it's really flattering um, to hear you say that, so thank you. And as I'm doing this, just shout-out to the energy for sure, and shout-out to the staff there and the players there. They're doing good things. My view on where we are as a country with soccer is, I mean, I could talk forever about it, so I'm trying to distill my thoughts um, on the fly here. One thing that I think is very interesting, really two things I guess I'd like to touch on that I think are very interesting. One is the way we do sports here in the U.S. is obviously just different from a bedrock perspective. So when you look at Spain or when you look at England, they're not drafting players, and that creates a totally different dynamic. So teams and fans of teams um, have different expectations. Expectations for what is a successful season. Whereas here in the US, almost universally, whether it's the NBA, whether it's the NHL, whether it's the NFL, fans want their teams to be competing for a championship. And that that core difference obviously trickles down into how different organizations are what. So that's the first thing that I is always at the front of my my mind when we're thinking about how development is going within the u.s and how academies are being structured when all is said and done the fact that there's a draft for mls and the fact that expectations for fans are different means the way we're developing things has to be looked at through a different set of eye or different set of glasses and the other side one of the things that i think is really interesting is when coaches are conducting practices a lot of the experiences i've had is there are so many great things, and so many awesome sessions out there that I, but I wish that the discussions about sessions and practices would take a step back and we talk about how we select the topic for sessions. So, I recently heard a really good quote that I think rings true and parallels in this discussion that I'd like to just bring up when it comes to practices, that if you have the right answer to the wrong question it's it's obviously not as helpful to even having uh, a somewhat right answer to the right question so if you're a team and you decided you're going to be practicing making a final ball in the final third making that that killer pass in the final third and with an exaggerated example in the last game you scored six goals and you were doing a great job hitting that killer pass but maybe you really needed to take time to uh, take advantage of numbers of situations in the central third I think we should be having discussions about how, how we're selecting the topic for these practices so maybe the discussion should be yeah you can run a great practice with uh, making killer passes and you have all the right things and all the right coaching points and all the right data to support it but at the same time is that what your players need what's your team needs is that how we're developing top players middle players bottom players and that's where I I really like having the match analysis perspective because that allows us to have conversations about what are the areas that we want to be focusing on player development and on team development. And that's, that's my really short story. I, I'd love to come back and actually talk about sorts of things like that.
2: I love that, Sam. Finally, as we, as we wrap up, and this will be a tougher question, but I think you're smart enough to, to handle you. it. Because, you're, yeah, because your background is so diverse, so interesting, so compelling, and so – Right now, obviously, as you think about uh, analytics and, and everything around it, it's so right now, it's unbelievable. It blows my mind, actually. And it's, uh, I think, one of the reasons why I was most excited to talk to you. But if someone were to say, hey, remember when Dean Linky on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, he interviewed all 30 members of the current 30 under 30 class. Remember when he interviewed that Sam Pollock guy? Well, what's the best way to describe Sam Pollock? If they were having that conversation, And it was, you know, Joe talking to Steve, just random people. What do you think
5: the best way Steve could explain who Sam Pollack is? Yeah, it's a a flattering question. So the things I tend to tell people when I want them to know um, what makes me tick and what makes me go, and what I think allows me to leave a lasting impression would be, number one, that I – When it comes to really conversation and anything, I won't ever surrender my integrity, and I'll I'll do it in an honest way. So I'll always tell you what I think is the case, and I will always try and highlight the other people and the other opportunities I've had that have allowed me to feel justified in what I'm saying. And then the other piece would probably be, man, this dude does a lot of stuff, and is clearly very busy and works hard. I'd love to see what he can do, though. Given the opportunity to devote all this energy to one club or one organization. And, you know, this is interesting, uh, but maybe he's right too thin. Let's see what he can do if, if he had a, a chance to dedicate all this time towards one endeavor.
2: If they did want to talk to you about doing one endeavor or reach out to you to talk to more about how you got into this and and now part of the 30 under 30, what's the best way for people? If they have more questions about what you do, can they reach you somehow?
5: Yeah, I would actually say, you no. Know, uh, the best way to get in touch with me would obviously enough be Twitter. Um, and I want to recommend people who are also just trying to grow their credibility. Twitter is a really good way to do that. The, the soccer space and the English-speaking soccer space for Twitter, and there is also a translate button, is a phenomenal way to grow and share what you want to do and learn from a lot of other people. I have learned a ton from Twitter, oddly enough. And if anyone wants to get in touch with me, my Twitter handle is 11 b 11 stamp and so the numbers, it's all remote, so one one 11 one one Sam. And uh, I would love to hear from anyone, and I'll be glad to get back to them. Well, you're going to get a follow from at Dean C. Linky, and hopefully i
2: have to spend money to get a follow back, Sam. Hopefully um, yeah. I don't have to pay you for a follow back, do I, Sam? No, <laughs> definitely not. All right, that's uh, at 11B11 11, 11, Sam, Sam Pollock, another interesting, fascinating member of our current United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30
1: Classic. We thank you, Sam, and we thank all of our wonderful guests today as well as Michael Knipper and Sean Chevrolet from United Soccer Coaches and each and every one of you. I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you same time, same channel next week for another edition of our United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks so much for listening.